time's spent by the riverside. Got some things to talk about here beside the rising tide. Come here, Uncle John's band. For years now, they've been multiplying in American bathrooms. Strategically placed on the back of the commode or near the bathtub, one frequently finds a colorful book or books filled with curious facts, jokes, stories, and anecdotes parceled out in segments designed to occupy the mind as one performs the necessary functions that would otherwise represent downtime in the bathroom. These are, in fact, volumes of the Bathroom Readers series, specifically Uncle John's Bathroom Readers, with titles like Legendary Lost or Slightly Irregular Bathroom Reader. Purportedly produced by the Bathroom Readers Institute, these handy tomes have been produced regularly over the years. This fall, the triumphant 20th anniversary Uncle John's Bathroom Reader has hit the bookstores of America, and when we were offered a chance to interview Uncle John himself, we jumped at the opportunity. Listeners to this show will note that we've often quoted from the pages of this series as we find their data to be reliable and their writing style to be interesting and amusing. Any books designed to be read in brief episodes have to be succinct, which is another reason why we like them. We don't know much about Uncle John or the Bathroom Readers Institute or how this series has become a publishing success story, but we'll try to correct those deficiencies in the next 25 minutes as we say, welcome to Radio Parallax, Gordon, Uncle John Javna. Greetings. Nice to be with you. And I assume that you are the founder of the Bathroom Readers Institute? I am Uncle John, uh, <laughs> the uh, chief bottle washer, janitor, editor, and publisher of uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. And how did you get the label Uncle John? It's a bathroom pun. Oh, we're, yeah. We're big on bathroom puns. Yes, you are. Yes, you are indeed. And uh, and what, what inspired an effort to put together some books like this? Well, um... Uh, Two things. One is necessity. I mean, if you do read in the bathroom, most people do, even if they don't admit it. Um, you know, you get tired of reading the back of the shampoo bottle <laughs> after a while, and you long for something uh, a little more pithy. You know, you, you end up looking for something to take to the bathroom on, on your way that, you know, and you end up with last week's supermarket circular. And, and so uh, we just figured that... Um, if you're going to be in there reading anyway, you might as well have something good to read. And that is basically how it came came up. We wanted to, you know, I mean, we started to put together a book with the kind of articles that we like to read, which are brief, quippy, uh, on a variety of topics, and all serious topics, well, mostly serious topics, uh, everything from sports and entertainment, pop culture, to uh, serious history, science, business, politics, just about anything you could think of as long as it's family-rated, because I wouldn't put anything in these books that I would want my own kids to read, just because there's a toilet on the cover, you know. Don't get the wrong idea. It's, it's serious stuff. Well, it, it, it is. And I have to ask, I mean, when you had this idea, how did, how did that go over when you went to a publisher and said, we want to put a book specifically designed for the smallest room in the house? Well, publishers know that people do actually read in the bathroom, and, you know, it's a sort of a, an idea that hadn't been pursued this way, and, and I can't say there were no raised eyebrows, but uh, ultimately, it worked out, and, and there, there have been other books that, that have been called Bathroom Readers in the way back when, but nothing like this, where, where it's a combination of sort of fun stuff and serious stuff. Well, is it fair to say that's the criteria that you, that you look for? It's got to be interesting and or amusing? Yeah, 
Um, and, and also, somewhat quirky, we like to collect things, bits of information, and sort of arrange them in, place, in ways that, that aren't standard um, and haven't been done before. We like to find things that haven't been written about uh, too extensively, and we also like to find things that are on the uh, verge of becoming uh, something more popular. My big mistake that I always regret now is a couple of years ago, somebody came to me and wanted to write an article about uh, Lord of the Rings because they said uh, the whole Tolkien thing was going to be big with the, when the movie came out, and I said, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and what successes can you point out that you really were surfing the wave of? Um, we collected Dumb Crooks articles 20 years ago. Right. And, and uh, I mean, now it's everywhere, but and I'm not saying we invented it, but we focused on that way back when, or weird news stories, which are now their franchises that, that just do nothing but that. And those are fun. We still do that, actually. We still do dumb crook stories because they're just incredible. My favorite of all time is the two guys that go into a, a bank to commit armed robbery. One of the guys yells out, nobody move or I'll shoot. And his partner moved, so he shot him. <laughs> You can't make that kind of stuff up, you know. And no, I, I've noticed that. Yeah, that even like you know the local papers that this sort of this this thing about uh, a, a quirky brief item has really become sort of a more mainstream. I think probably in the wake of your series. Don't claim to be the only person to to have collected that kind of stuff, but we're right there. Before it was very common. I should note that uh, as I speak right now, I can see thirteen volumes of your series from where where I'm sitting. How, how many how many do you have total? Oh. We have somewhere around 50 titles. We used to do just one every fall, and we continue to do that one. And that's, of course, what this, this book is, uh, Uncle John's Triumphant 20th Anniversary, is the anniversary of, of that. Um, in fact, by the way, the, the original books were 228 pages. This one is 600 pages. We, we, we've been doing the four to 500 pages per volume, but we just thought we should do something special because it's our 20th anniversary. So this one is even bigger than, than normal. Over the years, we've gotten letters from parents saying, you know, we love your books. How about doing one for kids? So we, we decided a few years ago to do one for kids, and that's ballooned into eight eight uh, book eight titles in, the, in that series. Plus, we have some on with puzzles, and we have some books about uh, cats and dogs, and we have a book on golf and so on. And, and one of my favorites is uh, Uncle John's Wonderful World of Odd, which just came out, which is nothing but weird stories. Wow. Well, one we like to use on this show, you've got a book of, uh, of quotations, just about co quotations, and we like to start every show with a quote, so that's come in very handy. Yes, and, and that's another thing we'd like to, to go on to quotes that, uh, yeah, there aren't your typical run-of-the-mill quotes. We have, in, in Uncle Joe's 20th, uh, Trump 20th anniversary, bathroom reader, we have a page of quotes from the photographer, Ar Diane Arbus. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she took weird pictures of weird uh, twins and and circus performers and that kind of thing, and and she just had some interesting things to say about about how she, you know, her her concept of art. So, well, we've done quotes from from everywhere, from rock stars to uh, uh, philosophers. Well, I have uh, I have your your book uh, in my hands right now, and I, I'd like to I'd like to just use some of the quotes to give an example of the kind of things that people can find in the bathroom reader series. Uh, you have a quote, one section called "Dim Stars," subtitled "It's So Entertaining When Beautiful People." appear shallow, and you quote Mariah Carey as saying, I know I can be diva-ish, but the nature of my life, the nature of what I do is divadom. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's just, uh... 
you have uh, another section titled Me, 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 where you quote Sean Diddy Combs as saying, I am one of the greatest entrepreneurs and entertainers the world has ever encountered. A- and modest, too. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, there's no lack of people with giant egos in the entertainment business, so those are fairly easy to find, but difficult to collect in a way that, that will give you, when you, on a single page, will give you the, the real feeling of, of what they're trying to, you know, what we're trying to, to say, which is that, that these guys have giant egos. You do a, a lot of wonderful histories, how things got invented, origins of things, and that's, uh, that, that's been a recurrent theme. It's very enjoyable. In this one, we have the story of the guy who invented the karaoke machine, which <laughs> yes. you may love him or hate him. That's personal preference, but it's a fascinating story because he was just a musician who, who had a, uh, a gig to play and didn't have any, uh, anybody to play with him, so he recorded the parts himself and played them on an 8-track tape player hooked up to an amplifier, and that was the first karaoke machine. And um, they, they became very popular in Japan thanks to him. He, he went into business manufacturing them, and uh, the only thing is he forgot to patent it. <laughs> and so others went into the business and drove him out of business. He's somewhat uh, philosophical about it, but I can't believe he, he does, it doesn't drive him nuts. That's been a disturbingly uh, consistent theme throughout the volumes I've noticed. A lot of inventors, as you tell the story, uh, that seems to be the, what wound up happening to them. They got Somebody came in and grabbed what they invented. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, you asked about something we've written about that becomes mainstream later on. There's a new play out about uh, Philo Farnsworth, who invented uh, television. Uh, we wrote about that years ago. Yes. Years. But he's one who really didn't, didn't reap what, uh, what he might have from an invention that's so, so popular. We also have the history of the Hawaiian shirt in this, in this book. One of those things that, you know, you, you, you probably have one in your closet and you never probably thought about where it came from. You wouldn't think it has a history, but yet you, you've, you've, you've located and told the story. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, story. Uh, it's a, a guy named Ellery Chun. When he graduated, after he graduated from business school in 1931, he moved back to Honolulu, uh, where his parents owned a dry goods store, and, and he was looking for, as a business major might, uh, looking for ways to increase his family's business. So he noticed some, some kids in the neighborhood wearing these colorful shirts, they were made out of leftover scraps of material from kimonos because their parents were Japanese. And he thought that might make a good tourist item, and so he had the tailor next door sew up a few samples, which he sold so quickly that he went into business. Uh, his sister designed the earliest floral prints that they used for these shirts, and uh, he sold the original ones for less than a dollar. And Collectors prize them. If you could find one, they were, they're worth thousands of dollars to collectors, those earliest uh, shirts. And then the article goes on to talk about how it became the unofficial uniform of leisure Fridays and, and, uh, and leisure activities. Even in Hawaii, they used to wear suit business suits. Hard to imagine. And so how they, how they transformed it to a, a more of a Hawaiian shirt culture is, is kind of interesting. All right, we are speaking with Gordon, Uncle John Javna, the uh, the... Originator, I guess you'd say, of the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series. One thing you like to do, I notice, is is pick up something and then give numerous examples of it that you pull from different areas of life. Uh, the current edition has uh, talks about something being grandfathered in, how this, this, this phrase originates with the Jim Crow era when an effort to keep blacks from voting, 
they passed laws saying that, well, if your grandfather voted, then you could vote. But then you segue from that into other examples of how this grandfathering phenomenon uh, uh, appears in different areas. Like spitballers were allowed to continue in the major leagues if they'd been throwing spitballs when it went at the time it was banned. Right. And not only do we go there, but then uh, going on the Jim Crow theme, we went to we, we include the uh, illiteracy test that was given uh, for voters. It was actually a way of discriminating against uneducated voters. Uh, the idea being that if you passed the literacy test, you, you qualified as a voter. And the questions are really difficult. Uh, you have a whole section on that, and I was having a hard time with some of them. Yeah. And, and the fact of the matter is that, that and, and it was mostly southern states that, that had it, but these questions are really hard, and I challenge people to see how literate they, they really are. That's an example, I think, of you sort of striking a blow for justice, pointing out where uh, where things are, are unfair. I mean, for example, you in the grandfathering thing, you mentioned, well, machine guns are legal if you owned it before 1986. You can still own a machine gun in the United States, which it, which is amazing. But um, uh, you had a, one of the previous editions of the book. I think it was, uh, I don't know, it was the great big uh, bathroom reader, I guess. You talked about the savings and loan crisis in some detail, and it actually did a very good job of summarizing that, uh, that great scandal. We're in for another one. Maybe there's more, more to write about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the current edition has, again, it's, it's very eclectic. Uh, you have this section of the current edition, How to Make Your Own Gelatin. And I think anyone that reads that is going to not be reaching for the Jello pops anytime soon. True gelatin, which, if anybody doesn't know this, it comes from animal bones, and uh, uh, and of course the recipe for how to make gelatin involves boiling bones in a cauldron, <laughs> which I don't think anyone's going to, to do. But it's still interesting to uh, to see how it's done, and that follows in the footsteps of other articles we've written about uh, how to cook a porcupine. I missed that one. How do you cook a porcupine? Um, I forget, to tell you the truth. I think that's something you'd want to forget. We have moose recipes in, in one book, and uh, we even have a recipe for making shrunken heads. Wow. Which, which is really an article about the Hivaro Indians in South America. Don't try this at home. <laughs> right. We have a whole series of, of things about don't try this at home, but if you did, here's how you could do it. Yeah. Including how to make an atom bomb, yeah, but that's yeah. a reprint, actually. I noticed that uh, there's a consistency throughout all the volumes there, there, in, in how it sort of reads, and I, it sort of, I think, reflects maybe one person editing. Or that, that, is that, is that uh, your handiwork? That's me, yes. We call that the voice. It's too much for one single person to write year after year after year to keep the, the quality up. Um, it, it requires a staff. Uh, I refer to them as my crack research staff, which is a little bathroom joke. Uh, but, but we're constantly reading and, and researching um, ideas and articles, and, uh, and then, yes, we do need to make them all sound like it's with the same, uh, yeah. same voice and from book to book. So about, about a dozen people per volume, would you say? or uh, Six. Sometimes we have some freelancers who come in and, and help out. I want to take this moment to also just to, to, to thank you for your fact-checking, because I, I'm a great fan, as a lot of people are, of the quirky and the amusing, but a lot of people, uh, they just they get it wrong. And I've noticed that when I know the subject matter pretty well, you guys have done your homework. You, you've got it right. We try. Uh, it doesn't mean something doesn't slip by. Once One year we put down Abraham Lincoln's birthplace was, I think we put something like West Virginia, and it's really <laughs> Kentucky, but, you know, I mean... We've been wrong a few times. Print, printing error. But we try. That's what we say. Uh, 
But, you know, technology makes it a lot easier to do that now than it used to be. In the old days, it was tough to, to research some of these quirky facts. Yeah, quirky facts. Your publicist was kind enough to send along a little trivia trivia examples that come out of the book. I thought we might we just want to bounce a few of those questions just to put them out there for our, our listeners, see if they might know uh, know some of these. Um, you, uh, you had a question in there. Uh, when and where was the baseball glove invented? The All-American sport. Turned out Canada... 1883. You got you gotta love it. Yeah. I, I I had no idea. Also, before becoming an actor, Humphrey Bogart earned a living doing what? He was a professional ch- chess player. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Who exactly? <laughs> who knew? Who knew? And, and also, a disturbing thing. Uh, practical value, perhaps, uh, or, or not. But uh, what are the odds one of your party guests will peek into your medicine cabinet? Yes, experts say 40% chance your guest will one of your guests will look into your uh, medicine cabinet. I, I like to say I never have, but I actually have. So. <laughs> I, but for that reason, I keep nothing incriminating in my medicine cabinet. Well, I think the uh, medicinal marijuana in some homes probably should be placed elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even think it's it's so much. That, well, certainly that, but I don't think it's it's so much that. It's like people want to know what kind of medication people are taking. Right, right. In some cases, it would explain certain behaviors. Hey, indeed. I noticed you've used a lot of people that uh, that we 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 like as well. David Wallachinsky, Cecil Adams' book, The Straight Dope. Uh, you also, I think, one book quoted Stephen Pyle, who wrote a rather obscure book was about the book of heroic failures. Uh, quite quite a broad net you're casting. We uh, like like anybody else. We do a lot of research, and and you've mentioned several people who are uh, giants in in the trivia collecting area. I want to say that. People in that business sort of borrow from each other. Uh-huh. And I certainly have seen our our things and other people's books and on on websites and you know, some of those mass emails you get from Uncle Charlie that send them out to everybody he knows. That I recognize some of those facts, but a fact is a fact, and uh, you know you might see a lot of places where they where they put copyrights on them. But if it's true, you can't copyright it. And if it's false, you don't want to put uh, <laughs> copyright it. We haven't mentioned this probably to date, but uh, you've got a lot of humor in there. You take a lot of stuff from professional comedians, and some of it's very, very good. It's always fun to to laugh at things. We don't we don't overdo it. There are lots of books that are nothing but jokes from uh, famous people, but we like to uh, we like we like to include a few, but not too many because just adds a little spice. And and once you start putting too many in, then you then you get you start to uh, blur the lines of what's funny. Uh, it's easier to be funny in a short space than it is in a in a, in a longer space. So yeah, I, I, I'm looking right now at your your Henny Youngman section, and I can't resist using. You know, my wife was at the beauty shop for two hours yesterday, and that was just for the estimate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Henny Youngman, you could do a lot more pages of Henny Youngman jokes. In fact, I think I had to whittle it down from three to a page and a half. What do you see for the future of of the bathroom readers? Any any topics that you're you're working on right now that uh, will play a prominent role in future volumes? Actually, we are, of course, working on our, triumph, on our triumphant 21st, we won't call it that, but our 21st uh, uh, anniversary edition of the Bathroom Reader. But we're also working on Uncle John Bathroom Reader Plunges into Music, which should come out uh, in a few months. And uh, shortly after, we will have Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Takes a Swing at Baseball. Actually, there's one article from that was going to be in our music book that ended up in uh, Triumphant 20th, which is the story of or the lawsuit against uh, George Harrison about 
the copyright for My Sweet Lord. Yes, you did quite a, quite a detail of how uh, how he's so fine uh, was 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 alleged to be the uh, the musical uh, source of, of of My Sweet Lord. Yeah, and and that's a story that anybody who who was around at the time probably knows that that he was sued for um, copyright infringement and. Uh, the judgment was against him, but what we didn't know at the time, and the only found, and we only found out through this research, is that his manager, Alan Klein, uh, encouraged the, the guys who the copyright for He's So Funny to sue Harrison. And the reason was because he was planning to buy, he was trying to figure out a way to buy the uh, uh, the rights to the song. So uh, he was actually playing both ends against the middle. And Harrison, even though he lost the judgment, ended up having to pay nobody because he was given the rights in in, uh, in the final judgment. He was given the rights to he's so fine as well. He had to pay for it, but he was, they were awarded to him. And so the only thing it cost him ultimately was for the, the tremendous amount for legal fees. But uh, it's a fascinating story. Well, when you leave all the details in, I know history is 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 so much more fascinating. I, I I know that you've been complimented in the past by people saying that they wish their textbooks had been written like the Bathroom Reader series. That must be pretty gratifying. That is, and in fact, I just recently got a letter from a, a, a teacher in uh, Wisconsin who said she had a, a class of tenth grade English students who were uh, bouncing off the walls. They were they were unable to. Uh, to focus on, on what they were supposed to be reading, and she tried everything to get them interested in reading. And finally, in desperation, she brought in her ho- own collection of uh, bathroom readers, and she said, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> they, they were The only thing they were talking about was showing each other what they just read, what they just learned. And she, thought, she said, she added that she thought it was a fluke. She thought maybe it was some strange confluence of the stars or something like that. So she tried it on on uh, senior English class that was a little less challenged uh, to read, and she got the same result. She just they, she said it was unbelievable. They just uh, dove into the material and uh, and enjoyed it completely. So that those things are very gratifying. I agree. Wow, that 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 is, that, that is terrific. The book is Triumphant, 20th Anniversary Bathroom Reader. We've been speaking with Uncle John himself, Gordon Jobna. We hope this will not be his last appearance on this program. Glad to come back any old time. All right. Well, thanks for speaking with us. And I'm sure this. I'm sure that uh, as a non-commercial station, we can't tell people to run out and buy this book, but I'm sure a lot of folks are going to want one. Well, you can't tell them, but I can. Uh, you can. <laughs> they're available at Barnes and Noble or Borders or any of your local your local independent bookstore. You can fill in the the blank there if you like, uh, and and uh, you can even get them online. And I urge people to come and visit us at bathroomreader.com because if you've never seen Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, we have articles posted in our throne room uh, where you can see what uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader is all about, and you can even join our Bathroom Readers Institute. Uncle John, it's been our great pleasure. My, my pleasure. It's great to be with you. He's so fun.